there. Welcome to the Everything Will Be Okay podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Simonoff. How are you guys all doing? Like, I just I just spent way too long trying to figure out what to say at the top of the episode, and I realized that the, the obvious thing is to inquire how you all are doing, because I don't know if I've done that yet on this show. Um, of course, I can't get an answer from you right now, but I'll ask that you uh, you let me know in the form of social media-ness. So, you know, if you like the episode, you can tweet at me. I'm doing great, Jenna. I'm having the best week of quarantine yet. <laughs> or um, maybe you're not doing so great. Maybe you're on like a little down. Maybe you're going insane with like loneliness or monotony or lack of vitamin D. Um, maybe you want to hurl your mask in the trash can because you hate it, but but don't do that. Don't do that, guys. Keep your masks. Wear them. Um, yeah, it's like on my end. Here, I'll tell you my end. I've had a really weird week. I've, like all told, it's been a good week, and, and I think that that's because I've been managing to get outside, do a lot of physical activity. Um, I've been able to like meet some friends, especially fellow friends with younger kids, so my son can, um, you know, compare scooters with another toddler or at least sort of meet someone and wave at someone new, like some sort of flexing of social skills. Ugh, like just the nightmares that I and I'm sure many parents are having about like the stalling and social development of their young kids because, you know, there are no you know, gyms or schools or libraries or anything for them to do. It's horrible. Um, Anyway, hopefully we don't see any lasting uh, damage or whatever. Knock on wood. Kids are resilient, right? That's what they always say. For this episode, I'm talking with the wonderful Isaiah Bell. Isaiah is a tenor. He's um, known for singing, you know, lots of concert stuff, lots of Bach, lots of Handel. He's big in Messiah season. Um, he'll also do a lot of contemporary stuff, a good a good amount of Britain. Um, you know, he can move his voice too. You might have seen him as uh, Count Almaviva in Vancouver recently. Um, but he's way more than that. He's like this renaissance man of creativity. He's always writing something. He's writing uh, a one-man show, like the one he called The Book of My Shames, which I think is a great title. He's writing songs and operas of his own. Uh, I believe he wrote an opera based on the Lorax, like way back when. Um, and he's, yeah, he's written some of his own songs. Uh, and, you know, he even writes some haiku here and there. I encourage you to follow his account, his Instagram account at Isaiah, 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 Isaiah. I believe it's five Isaiahs. Um, but on there, you'll get artfully created, um, like crafty haiku that will just make you think and delight in the beauty of the world. I always love talking to Isaiah because he just sort of brings me out of whatever brain space I'm in and in and into his brain space, which is a wonderful place to live. Um, he'll laugh and, and say that he's an overthinker, but hey, so am I. And so there's some sort of alchemy that that gets together when Isaiah and I chat and we kind of draw each other out of our of our madness and into something entirely new. Um, it was a total delight to to go to that place with Isaiah for this conversation. I actually think it's the first time we've spoken on the record, which is a little bit strange. Um, Isaiah and I met about 13 years ago, I think it is, at good old Opera Nuova. Shout out to Opera Nuova. Um, we met, uh, we, were, we worked together on a production of Aaron Copeland's The Tender Land. Those were tender times. And we've been friends ever since, running into each other or making plans to run into each other. And, um, you know, 
Isaiah is a good one. He's a, he's a keeper. So I know there's tons going on. The news is insane. Your news feed is a lot. Um, but I hope that this will be a little bit of a breath of fresh air. We talked about big things, but not those big things, um, partly because we recorded a few weeks before some of the big things started happening. Um, he spoke to me from his home base in Victoria, BC, where he is admittedly flourishing under uh, quarantine circumstances. What a jerk, you know? He was like actually working on another project. Uh, he took a break from it to, to do our conversation. And I think he was in the middle of like grant writing madness, which I, I have no envy for. But um, it, of course, it makes complete sense that in these sort of dire or weird circumstances, Isaiah is still thinking of a new idea, a new thing to put out into the world. Um, yeah. Lockdown be damned. I, I know that there's not a ton of happiness to go around uh, if you look at your news feeds, but, um, but I can promise you some for at least this hour. So uh, yeah, enjoy my conversation with Isaiah because I enjoyed my conversation with Isaiah. Here we, here we go. Let's try this. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Wow. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I just got this yesterday. So I went and got all this, all this material from the, uh, from the music store to, to record stuff. Cause you know, as everyone in, yeah. in the world is doing right now. Yeah. So you like, you've got a little project on the go, but I'm not sure I know what it is. Oh can yeah. Talk about well, it? Honestly, can I, I mean, have I spent the last two weeks writing grant applications for it? Yes. Can I describe it? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I can. Well, it's a, yeah. I, um, I always think of the people that have to read those grant applications for the things that people can't describe. <laughs> I know I do too. And I just think, I just want to tell you what this thing is, but it's like so far reaching, you know, I want to rewrite the way that music theater is created, you know, and people are like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can send you like a few of the press releases I've gotten over the years. And I, and when I'm just like yelling at my phone being like, but what is it? <laughs> like, what's the noun? Well, yeah. Cause it's all about, uh, you know, reshaping structures of creation and you know challenging societal views of yeah it's a presentation of an experience of an amalgamate i'm like but but is it a concert it's a concert right (laughs) well fortunately my husband does kind of this kind of writing for a living uh Uh and it wasn't until this i don't know if i know what he does what does he do then well, he's a consultant. He's a public policy consultant. He works a lot with health, um, with like uh, government health organizations. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure that I can describe it, even though I not, know a lot about uh, individual projects and stuff. But just in this yeah. last this last period of me writing grants, you know, I sit there sort of tearing my hair out, groaning loudly all day for days on end. And because I just hate it, I just hate yeah. having to organize my my thoughts in that way. Because when I write grants, it's like I'm writing a novel, kind of like I, like I have to get I everything that. and and pull it together and make it all make sense, sort of dramatically, and sort of do fore- foreshadowing and then follow up on that later in the grant. And my husband's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. you just have to write things basically in point form, just like what are you doing? This this bureaucrat wants to know, you know. There's got to be like a bot for that. Totally, you know. Like I'm trying, I feel like there's something already on Reddit that just like skims news articles and gives you like the points that you need to know. Right. You know, because my my suggestion to you would be to like find like a very like whatever the is it right brained that are really practical. 
I think it's like find a really brain. right brain person. Okay, whoever that person is, and and just get them to like write it without without the like loyalty that you have to the project. Right. Exactly. That that I think that also stands in the way. I understand. Well, consulting with Renee has been very helpful on this last grant and made it That's much good. less frustrating. And also, I realized how much clearer you can make things because I feel like people have to understand all the meaning behind everything instead of just understand what it is. I want to tell them why it's happening and, and, and that it's thought out and it's, and I have an important thought process and et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, this project yeah, I is, I mean, it could be something that's recorded and it was planned to be done in person before, but now it might be something that's done virtually. Uh, but it's, it's a storytelling thing where I take a story, I set it to sort of a rhythm kind of like against a common beat and then mm-hmm. the idea is that we create some basic musical bass lines, like maybe literal bass lines or rhythmic stuff, or sort of, we say, okay, this is going to be a group of people. This is going to be a solo, just a melody. This is going to be this style of music. And then theoretically having sort of a musical inspiration means people can compose their own stuff like by ear a little more freely instead of having to just compose it out of thin air. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, like, um, I think I understand. It is hard to describe. It's very, very hard to describe. And, and you know, it's the kind of thing that I know exactly what it is and I know exactly what it's going to be like. And I know exactly what kind of work we need to do to learn what we need to do. But describing it is just impossible. I mean, the this idea is the beginning it, of something big. That's how you know that. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, th- and thank you so much for all. <laughs> thank you so much for, for humoring me by saying that. But uh, it's it is true. It's one of those things that's maybe like you'll invent a term later. I love this. You know what? Let's put that into the grant application. <laughs> yeah. Term TBA. I mean, p- part of the idea, the, the, the reason, the place that it came from is that I've been working with a lot of young singers recently and just seeing my own process as a young singer reflected in, in what's happening with them and just seeing that people... Oh, don't have as much agency as performers anywhere near as much as I would like them to. And it's all about recreating tradition and just like trying to match up to these inevitable, these uh, impossible standards. And, and mm-hmm. people, you know, we're sort of, I always use the term meat puppet. Like that's what we're being trained <laughs> oh. to be. And we're being trained to be sort of, I don't want to go off about it, but you know, there, there's a, there's a bit of, Everyone just trying to do the same thing, sing the same arias in the same way, and I know and it yeah. contributes to to difficult paradigms in in the industry. So we're trying to approach it in a new way and 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 empower people to be creative and 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 to, to well not even to be creative but to use the creativity that's there, but that we've kind of forgotten because more important than creativity is doing everything right. And then when you do everything right for the fifteen years of your training then you can finally start being creative, but you haven't been practicing it. Right. You've been so much more productive with your time during this pandemic than I have. <laughs> how, I know how this have you for been, a fact. How have you been handling it? I mean, I've been handling it, but like in terms of, I, I don't know why I don't consider parenting productivity because it obviously is. Oh my God, yes. Um, it's productive to like send out a, a well-formed human into the world, which is the goal, you know? Um, someone that won't make too much of a ruckus for other people, you know? It's kind of the ultimate productivity. 
Yeah, I know that. And I, I'm like, is this like some weird like shoved down misogyny that I carry around or something? I don't know what it is, but it's like, I, it's, you know, when I say I'm not being productive, I mean, I'm not writing as much and I'm not like on the scene as much right. um, because my attention is being pulled elsewhere because, you know, because we have no daycare and my husband is very much working, which I'm very happy about. And so that has to happen. And so, you know, my role is now keep everything else working. And right. it's good. Like it is good because it's not um, like it is good in that we have the freedom to be able to do that. And like, you know, it, it's sort of I, I think of like Judy Forst mentioned this at le- in at least one talk, you know, how she talked about when she started at the Met in the 60s and she was like newly married to Graham, um, her amazing husband, Graham Forst. Um, they agreed to never live on her salary. Um, so that, because her husband had, I think he was, he was already working at a university as a professor and, you know, I'm sure that changed along the way because Judy is obviously very successful, but the idea of not having to be the breadwinner, even if you're working tons and tons, you know, it's, it's a totally different mindset and not everyone has the opportunity to do that. But I sort of compare that situation a bit to what, what we can do for now anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, so how? So, but I, I do. St- Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, how long was he in daycare? Like, how 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 long was he in daycare before? Like, how how much time did you have before? Yeah. So I had I had maybe half of the week, so like two and a half days, and right. that was between. I was going to this awesome place that's like sort of a hybrid of a daycare and a co working environment. So you pay for an office, like basically an office space or, or you know, a, an open concept kind of thing. You pay for a place to work and some coffee and some snacks and some good Wi-Fi. Um, and then they also have childcare as part of the package. And so they have these ECEs, these like really well-trained people. Um, and it's a daycare on site. So you can go for, wow. you know, you pay for the time or whatever. And it was a, it's an amazing business, and I hope it makes it through all of this because the woman that runs it is incredible. Um, anyway, shout out to The Workaround in Toronto. Right. And then, of course, grandmothers. Grandmothers had their designated day per week. And so between that and, and The Workaround, I was, you know, part-timing it, you know. Right. So, wow, this is so yeah. – how, how do you feel about the change – I mean, I'm sure that there must be several layers of reaction, like how you sort of feel instinctively and then how you feel that you should feel. Like, is there that kind of complication about, about the way your life has changed with this? I mean, the inst- the instinct is that I was just like, un- like generally kind of unmoored because when like all of the sort of things that you don't even think about as being optional, like going to the opera, when all those things like, because I, I just started getting my inbox was just like, press release after press release of like cancel this cancel that and i'm like the met doesn't cancel productions what are you talking about and i'm like can't what do you mean canceled like but uh, of course like and even in like the hindsight of like a few weeks on we're just like of course it had to be canceled that's ridiculous why would you even try but like it's these kind of little things that i didn't realize like signified normalcy for me and so and i'm just like i wasn't even thinking about like the enormous ripple effect that um i'm hoping you and i can get into but like but i was just like no no no. but i want my i want my routine i know what i'm doing next week and like just for a little bit i was just like but 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 next week i'm supposed to you know (laughs) 
They're like, we were going to have dinner plans. And like, just these like, these pathetic grasps that like, but, you know. Oh man, I, I, I do know about that. And, but I have to say that I don't know about it as much as a lot of other people do, I think, because when I'm home, my life is not so different than how it is right now. I mean, except for that, you know, you go see people. But I, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's the option, having the option of being, you know, a homebody or not. Exactly. So, I mean, so where were you when all of this kind of just unraveled? um, I was in the first week of rehearsals for The Resurrection with Opera Atelier. And Uh we, we were some of the last people to cancel, actually. Because everyone else had sort of canceled or things were falling by the wayside, everyone and you know, all these recommendations were coming out about gatherings of 250 people, gatherings of 50 people or whatever. And we were just in rehearsal, just, you know, um, perfecting our broke hand gestures. And, and sort of, you know, it, I mean, part, part of the beauty of Opera Atelier is that it's sort of its own little bubble, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that like that's kind of what's what's amazing about it is that is that it is this world where when you go to Opera Italia, you enter this this world that's that's just different and I mean I'm not saying that that they're like that administratively because because they certainly aren't and they made a point to say you know we're not living in a bubble we're continuing rehearsals until we get these recommendations etc uh, yeah. but 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 that's the feeling of being in rehearsal is the feeling of of being sort of in your own world and that, I think that's how, how they can do interesting things. And so I was just a bit cut off from what was happening. And people kept texting me saying, um, have you guys canceled yet? And we've been like, no, hopefully we're going to pull through. Because, you know, at the time I saw that the Mervish theaters had canceled everything until April 12th. And I thought, well, we're supposed to open on April 11th. So if it's only going to be a couple of weeks, maybe we can squeak by. And, you know, and they were talking about doing maybe a live stream and all this stuff. And uh, so yeah. we were just we were just sort of going along. And it was only a few days, but it felt like a long time because things were happening really quickly. All the cancellations were yeah, happening exactly. really quickly. But uh, yeah. eventually they decided to suspend rehearsals. And I had this feeling of panic that I wasn't going to be able to get home and that I was going to be stuck away. Like I was talking to a doctor friend of mine who uh, was like, yeah, this is, you know, this is worse than people are thinking that it is and people don't know what direction it's going to go in. So we should probably be prepared mm-hmm. for that. And so suddenly I felt like, oh my God, I, I have, qu- I have quite like a, a thing about being out in the world when something happens and not being able to get home. I don't know where, oh, where that yeah. comes from, but yeah, what I mean, it's, it's, but so I, I was like, okay, I'm flying home today. Like I found out the rehearsal was canceled at like 1130 or something in the morning on a Sunday. And I was on a six o'clock flight just to get home because yeah. i just wanted to, i just wanted to once once i realized that we weren't going to be happening and then there was talk of bringing it back but of course that couldn't happen um sure yeah man and like did you have to like quarantine when you got home like it, it's a domestic flight but still well i mean we basically did essentially i mean it isn't that much different from what we're doing right now but we basically for two weeks because i was sure for some reason i, I was like and renee said this too i was like oh, I, i've got it i'm sure i've got it like i was just on a plane with a whole bunch of people you know i, I haven't been you know and, and i've been in rehearsal with people who have come from a whole bunch of different countries for this project you know some people have been yeah, in england like, some people in the states yeah it's like a hotbed like because singers are kind of germaphobes anyway like understandably so and then then you add like the international element like, well, and, and yeah. we're all like touching each other, touching each other's faces, you know. So it's very, yeah. you, you know. And they were there was talk about uh, social distancing in rehearsal. I was like, well, we're gonna have to restage the show then. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's well, so like, much hand touching and all this stuff. 
What's that? Yeah, and singers are just like your your days are spent with like your mouths agape, like just spewing well, out. I mean, like, my friend said and... was Droplet City is 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 upper rehearsal. I mean, I heard about a choir yeah. rehearsal in in uh, California where or somewhere in the states where they were doing all the stuff. They're all six feet apart they were all had hand sanitizer and like 37 people came down with coronavirus or something because it's just like you're just expelling like droplets of air into the room you're just vaporizing the room with your germs but uh, no. i i didn't have it or else i i was asymptomatic but um and and now life goes on as much as normal but you know there's a real uh there's a real sort of dual nature for me i'm this guy who's like out traveling and when i'm out traveling like i'm seeing people all the time like i'm eating out all the time I'm, I have different behaviors. I have different habits. I wear different things kind of in some ways. And then when I get home, I'm, yeah. I'm much more homebody. And those two have always sort of coexisted. And now I'm sliding totally into the one, which is kind of the one that I identify with more as my personality. Uh, but noticing how when, when that when that takes over and there isn't the knowledge that the other one's coming up that I have to go back to, what changes and and what's different about my life but that's that's a pretty low coronavirus impact in terms of what a lot of people are dealing with well yeah i mean yeah like i i just the the impact like the big impact we're talking about is financial of course like and and you don't you don't have to share the details with me but like can you can you rattle off a few upcoming things that you know are definitely canceled like stuff that you're particularly sad to miss or well you know most the, most of my season was it was all packed into the first six months so i lost it all right away which is a good thing actually because it, it wasn't like a rolling like a rolling blackout you know like within the first <laughs> yeah, within yeah. the first week or or, or two weeks max everything because mo- most of my exciting stuff was all in right in a, in a rat-a-tat row all spring until the end of june and then my fall was a lot clearer and i was going to be using the fall to work on this project with um, the voice ensemble at UVic, this because I was I was looking forward to taking this opportunity to really like get into something like exploring, as I was talking about exploring these new ways of of creating theater experiences with these university students that I worked with last year. I was really excited about that, and of course that's not happening. Um, yeah. But all the projects that that are that I had financial loss for were like um so with Operatelli, of course, although we did we did they were they were good about finding a compromise in terms of something that isn't gonna, you know, close the company but is gonna support the artist in some way. And and our agents sort of were in contact with them about that. And so there's Upper Atelier. Yeah. Right after Upper Atelier, I was supposed to be doing the the new newly redeveloped and revised version of my solo show that I did at Tapestry. Um the Book Which of My the book of my shames. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But but we, we did it at Tapestry. We we had like sort of a couple of weeks to draw it all together after some rewrites last year and then slam it in at Tapestry. And it was great. And it, it was very successful and, and the response was great. And then we were so looking forward to being able to remount it in Victoria this spring. Like it was supposed to be happening like next week. Um, but yeah. uh, be- because you, we had all this extra time to like let the ideas sink in and to really like make it more, even more cohesive and streamline it and 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 point out the themes a little more now that we had all this all this fallow time and so that I mean that was a big disappointment to to lose that and there we're, there's a there's a sort of virtual version of it where we're doing there are some recordings from the from the Toronto one and with some explanation and stuff like that and we're doing some 
media stuff around it, but obviously it's not the same because they want to continue actually and remount the actual thing in, in real life someday. Um, so it was like it was like Opera Tellier that immediately the next day to New York to do this premiere of this new American oratorio at Carnegie Hall with the New York Oratory Society. Um, and then I had 10 days off. And then actually one of the things that I was most disappointed to lose just because it's a new step for me, even though all of every single one of those projects was like totally exciting in its own way, uh, was that I was going to be directing Dido and Aeneas and James Rolfe's Aeneas and Dido at Opera Nuova this summer. Oh, amazing. I, I mean, was... I'm so sad that it's not happening. But... Oh, I know. I mean, it's 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 posted forward to, to next year, theoretically. Uh, and we'll see. And, you know, but I, it's just that, you know, all of those singing projects, you know, every one of them, you know, the, the Opera Atelier thing, it was my first like sort of made, main role at Opera Atelier. And of course, my own thing. And then the, the you know, the new American premiere at Carnegie Hall and all this stuff. All very cool yeah. and exciting. And, but, but, you know, this is like something different. So it was a totally new, I mean, I have directed before, but I'm just, I'm just starting to get into it. And this was going to be my first sort of large scale production, you know, that, that where I had like a, like a, like a whole creative team, like, you know, set in costumes and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I was really excited for it. And I was very, very disappointed that that, that that was to go. And and that wasn't the big money earner of all the things, but that was just, you know, artistically and, and just in terms of my, what I'm interested in and, and the directions my career is going and the way of pulling together different identities and stuff, which is what this, this project I was telling you about earlier is all about. It's all about sort of, um, you know, coalescing, combining all these different things that I do into one sort of person who makes art. And uh, so that was, that was yeah. a big disappointment. Yeah. I mean, maybe, and like, it's good that you have, because I don't think every artist is the same as you. I don't think every artist um, is as comfortable with their, like, I think that, I don't think every artist is as comfortable with their home self as you right. are. Right. Like, I think that it's true that a lot of artists have this sort of dual identity, this sort of like at work person and at home person, and it's very compartmentalized because it just is. Um, but I think am I wrong in assuming like, I think that, that there's a lot of artists that are obviously suffering from like the financial hit and the, just like the fear of being out and about um, depending on where they are. But like, I think that there's like some serious identity loss happening that is like not really talked about because at the moment there are like kind of major things going on that sort of take precedence over like an artist's identity loss right now. But like, it's, I'm thinking about it for some reason, especially with like my friends and the people that I know put so much into their art. It's kind of like this part of their person is on a shelf for indefinite amounts of time. Well, I kind of think that part of the reason it's not being talked about isn't just that there's a lot of extra stuff going on, like a lot of big world stuff, but I kind of think that stuff like, and it's not because artists don't know how to quantify and describe their experiences, but I think that uh, my sense of it is that these things are sort of, I don't know, they're, they're sort of, well, it isn't ineffable, but it's sort of, in some way, it's like a between feeling. And I think it's a feeling of malaise kind of, and it's something that's hard to describe except for when you're through it. It's kind of like some, like a, like a depression in some way, I think maybe that you don't know until you get to the other side. Or, or, you know, you look back at particular times in your life when, like, for me, I can think of particular years when I was on particular projects or, or working in a particular way or, or, or struggling with a particular thing that you just maybe, you didn't realize how bad it was when you were in the middle of it until you came out the other side and you're like, wow, I was having a real identity crisis at that time. Or I was, I was just crankier and I didn't know why. And then you come out the other side and you think like, oh, I was having an enormous crisis 
and I didn't realize it because I just wanted to pretend that everything was going on okay. And and you look at yourself sort of, you know, quote, unquote, objectively, and uh, you think, oh, well, this isn't that bad. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lose the house and, you know, and, and things are still going to come back online and, you know, people are still talking about their projects, so everything's going to be fine. But there is this sort of sense of the, having the rug pulled out from under you. I think that's that everyone is sharing in common to some degree. Yeah. And I think it's, I don't know. I think it's, I think that it's unique to artists to have that sort of blurry line between your life and your work. Right. Right. And I wonder, like, of course, there's, there's a ticking clock of like, how long can people last without income, of course. But I wonder, like, how long before people pack up because they just, they've got to get their mind in something, you know, like, artists are also very productive people. They always want to be doing or making. And, you know, if they can find somewhere else to get that kind of feedback where they feel like they're giving something or they're, they're using their potential, you know, I well, think they'll pursue that. You know, the, the, the thing about always needing to be doing something, I mean, for the last two weeks, I've been totally immersed in grant writing, a couple different grants I was applying. And I've, and I've been seeing on Facebook that a lot of people have been in the same thing. You know, all these like, well, grant applied today. I'm like, well, I guess this is all my competition for this grant because every artist in the known world is applying for five grants all at the same time. But uh, right. so I've been really, I've been really, you know, I, I have a tendency to either feel not actually depressed. I'm not like, I'm not sort of clinically depressed or, or, or uh, prone to that in my life or haven't been, but uh, you know, just that 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 sort of that sort of slightly depressed feeling that happens when you have nothing on, or uh, or just totally stressed. And those are my those are my two poles, and I go back and forth between them. So all week I was just so frustrated about all these grants and how badly I was writing them, and 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 wondering if my project was was going to be the thing that people were going to pick up on, or whether they weren't going to understand and stuff. And then the next day, Renee was like, you know, you should just take the day off. Like you've been really going at it, and so just take it easy. Don't worry about doing anything. And I was just, you know, I, I could I couldn't do it because I don't know how to how to live like that. I don't know how to just be. I have to always be doing something. And, you know, I, I meditate a lot and I do all this kind of stuff to try to mitigate that and to try to, to try to improve my skills of, of just being, but it's very difficult. And, and I'm, as I said, and will continue to say, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones who has a lot of options in my life right now that people don't have. So I honestly don't know what people are doing, but I will say that, uh, there, there is, I don't know, not to be like all Pollyanna, but there is some positive aspect to this for some people not to undercut like the enormous trauma that our world is going through and and individual traumas and and like just horrible things that are happening in people's lives and i can't imagine what it would be like to even work at like a grocery store right now i just can't imagine it but i think that there is there i think that there can be some kind of renaissance in artists lives in addition to and maybe somehow symbiotically with this identity crisis um i don't know i it's it's hard to it's one of these things that like the identity crisis it's kind of hard to quantify or describe but i sense sort of in my gut this idea that if you're an artist and your job is somehow to convert your experience into art or in or to tell other people about it even if even if you're not a composer or a writer or whatever but even if you're an interpreter i'm not going to say just an interpreter but like that is you know there's this i've always said that you're sort of your instrument if you're a singer is your living energy kind of you know like it's it's you 
It's just like the buzz of life in you that you then convert into sound waves. And I think that if 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 that's if that's your view of what your job is in our, as an artist, then I think that this kind of crisis can't help but get you better in touch with you, get you to know you better, you know? But Yeah, I think we've already started to meet, like we've started to figure out who those people are. I mean, it's not saying that anyone you know, I'm talking about the people who are like releasing videos of themselves singing on their balconies or doing at home concerts or something. Like, I don't think it's true that if you're an artist who's not doing that kind of thing, you're not as committed to your art or your craft. I think, I don't think that's true at all, but I think that there, we're starting to like meet the, the type of people that, that see it in this way, that it's not just their livelihood and they're not just, um, hoping to do this one version of their art, which is like, you know, a live stage opera thing that's in a theater with an audience, that kind of thing. But like people who are just willing to, people who are willing to expand or like, you know, diversify a little bit, we're like meeting those people already. I I do feel for like the people that, that don't have it in them right now to like create because it's just, there's, it's too much. And like, I was one of those people for a long time, a long time, like a couple of weeks, but like, at the beginning when we started seeing people releasing these videos, like in the first days or even the first week or something, like for some reason it got to me, like it got, I got my back up and I was just like, yeah. like my opinion of it was like, you know, why you, you, you really need it to be about something that you're doing, but that's not what they're doing at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I know. You, I know what you're saying, but it, it can be know, a combination of the two. I'm sure. I'm sort of, I'm conflating different personalities. I'm not saying that like they're so stuck up that they need to be the center of attention, even if the theaters are closed, but like the kind of person that's like, you know, what would help is my voice. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to say that, that I, I, that, that kind of isn't what I'm talking about entirely because I, 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 I think that you could go through this whole time as an artist and feel this feeling of unease I mean, unease is sort of a very understated way to put it, but I think you can feel this feeling of of discontent and and of and of identity loss, and still come out the other side, and not have made a single recording or have sung a note, and still come out the other side a more interesting artist. I think, and in fact, I think maybe the people who are are most likely to respond in this way maybe aren't the people that I'm even talking about. I, I mean, not that, not that I mean everyone's gonna 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 react to this experience in some way, but. Um, I think that that I've always felt this way, and I know that this is just my own bias, but I think sometimes the easier it is for you to just make something, you know, the, the, and the less friction that goes into something in some way, and maybe this is like a, a harmful sort of idea about a harmful cliche about artists, but the easier it is for you to just just pop something off, the less likely it is to be something that 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 came from. Ugh, I hear myself saying this, and it seems offensive, but the, the less likely it seems to be something that 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 came from a place of 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 true growth, and not and this and this is not to say obviously that art always has to be, or even often has to be something that's that's an experience of growth, or or that as it's about this like personal cataclysm or whatever. I think a lot of times a huge part of the pie chart of what art is for is truly just to make people feel better, to expose them to something beautiful. And I think that's what a lot of us spend our lives doing. And so art isn't just about isn't just about channeling your experience into whatever. But I think that 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 what I'm kind of referring to 
isn't necessarily the same thing as like, well, how many videos have you released during coronavirus? Yeah, no, I don't think that's a good statistic. I don't think that measures anything. I am curious, though, if it's like, you know, say this thing goes on for a while, like 6, 12, 18 months. Um, There's a lot to talk about if that's the case. But I mean, in terms of opera being consumed online as opposed to live, like it's this it's this truth of opera people that like live is best and at any cost you should see it live because that's where opera has all of its power. And I think I agree with that, but I wonder like is online opera like a placeholder kind of situation or is it on its way to some sort of actual evolution where like it can grab people even if you're not physically in a room with a singer? Oh, it's so tricky because I don't know in in almost every case, I'm like, yes, and like, it's like, it's both kind of, I mean, there, there truly is, I don't know. I, I am so split about this because in my own life, I'm noticing more and more how, you know, the difference between doing my, the book of my shames in a room full of people who are responding in real time with their sort of breath and laughter and energy and their silence is such a different thing than then recording these videos into my phone in my room and having to sort of take that energy out of out of thin air. And I've always had this trouble in recording. I mean, I, I think we've recorded together as pianist and singer years ago. And you may remember this. Yeah. I just I have such trouble when there's when it's just when my audience is the microphone. You know, I've always and so I think that for me, it's maybe the big part of it is that just not being able to bounce off the audience and and to and to and to take that energy from the audience makes a different product. And I know that's not what, you know, Deborah Voigt is referring to when she's hosting the Met broadcast and saying like, you really have to see it in person. It's, it, that, I know that's not what she's talking about, but I think that that's mm-hmm. a big, big deal for me as the artist. But on the other side of things, I truly think that opera of all art forms can stand to just bend its brain a little bit, you know? Totally. Totally. And I, and I, and I don't want to, I don't, you know, of course, even just acoustically, unless you have the world's most amazing sound system and you're sitting in like a Dolby surround room, you're not going to get the wonderful experience of, of real opera singers. And I truly, and it, with this idea that your living instrument is your, is your living energy is your instrument. Like, of course, you're not going to get the experience that, that we all sort of pay the big bucks for. But, but there is something about this challenge that, you know, I think that we can come through by just allowing ourselves to be bent a little bit, you know, allowing our our brains to go in directions that we never would have taken them if we didn't have to. I think that's how growth happens. I think that's how evolution happens. And and I think that if we if we can sort of just be patient with the with the growing pains and and with the stuff that you're talking about, be patient with the sort of agony of of being displaced. I think that we can come out stronger at the other side, and and that and that the live theater. I, I I kind of think and maybe hope that at the end, the the desire for for live interaction is going to be so much stronger and so much more concentrated. We're going to really appreciate it. Maybe that's not true. Maybe we're just going to go back to our regular life, and opera companies are going to be dead, and everyone's just going to have gotten used to you know going on TikTok for their entertainment. But I I, I feel like there's going to be an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, I don't think that live performance will ever go away like I think it's just been so innate for so long with people like with humans um I do wonder about opera in particular because it was already on this like 
razor's edge of like existence (laughs) where like you know you have to constantly make a case for it and you know depending on where you are there's there's help from the state there's corporate and and individual donations and there's definitely an audience for it but it's an audience it's an at-risk audience currently like if you consider the older demographic that makes up the average i just wonder will we be able to make a case for it under these circumstances like when the lineup for help is so long yeah is that going to be a priority well i know like i know that there there are a lot of people for whom it is a priority. And like, for me, like I, I sort of, I kind of mourn the the idea that I might have to explain to my son what it's like to go to a live symphony concert or a live opera rather than be able to show right. him. Yeah. Because I think it is like a really special experience. It doesn't negate the kind of experience you can have not live. I mean, if, case in point, there's like film and TV, like it's, there's some extraordinary stuff out there that like gives you this out of body experience. You can be like, that actor is so incredible, or these writers are so incredible and they just have me. Right. But I don't know if, if opera has ever had to compete that directly with that kind of medium before, like, because it's always been about this other thing, which is about like that really visceral human experience of feeling like sound vibrations from another voice. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, Again, I I think I always risk coming off as Pollyanna-ish because sometimes my brain can't comprehend the enormity of these kind of things. Like when I think about like, you know, is opera over after this? Like, will companies shut down and what will life be like after that for everyone who's in this industry? My brain kind of can't manage it. And so it always kind of starts scrambling for ways that it's going to be okay. But even with that caveat, I I will say that I think that... uh, there, there's so much room for opera's identity to change. And I think there are so many people who are, whose lives are wrapped up in opera, who care so much about opera, that even if you or I doesn't ne- don't necessarily feel that we know what, how it's going to be able to change, I think I kind of trust that sort of, that sort of you know, in that sort of life will find a way, hashtag life will find a way kind of way. I kind of trust <laughs> that, that, that opera will be able to ride the wave because it's always been an underdog. I mean, if 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 suddenly you couldn't make film and TV, you know, the, the the people who were the most used to making do in film and TV would be the people who who made the most interesting thing, I think. And and we've always been we've always been just just scrabbling to get by for as long as certainly as long as you and I have been involved, but um, you know, much much yeah. longer. Opera's been sort of figuring it out, and and I think that. What we will see, maybe this isn't true, but I I have an idea that what we will see is a few less dinosaurs and a little more, um, you know, sort of scrappy grassroots. And maybe that's maybe that's not true. And maybe what we will see is only dinosaurs now because no one can afford anything else. It, that we we will see the one big production of Butterfly, you know, etc. And all the all the I mean all the sort of mid sized. Uh, community-based things will just sort of go by the wayside. I mean, that's that's the worst case scenario, but I don't know. That's not that's not what I believe. No, I, I'm with you. Like, I think like we're also going to sort of see what these companies are made of. Like, part of me is like, well, of course it would it would be great if the Met still existed after all of this because it's you know quite an important part of of the tapestry of opera. But like, but again, like maybe this is part of evolution. This is like you know the dinosaurs died. Partly, you know, all the big animals that took they they were too big to survive or something. I yeah. don't know how evolution works. Clearly, yeah, same. But like, 
<laughs> but like these people that are already prone to to adapt and to like look outside the box and to sort of create stuff that's realistic rather than try to go for like big and grand, which I think has been associated with opera for much too long. And I think it's adding to its PR problem just in general. Totally. Because like Absolutely. the most amazing, 100%. Like, like some of the most incredible stuff I've seen has been like just teeny tiny or like, you know, just the stuff that I, I still can't get out of my head is not Sorry, it's not the stuff at the Met. I don't know. Oh, no. Oh, girl. Uh, I Okay, so the problem with this conversation for me is the same problem that anyone who doesn't have my life is probably having listening to me describe like being like a home ec major right now and just and just like tootling around in my pajamas and having a nice time at home, uh, which is that I've always had a problematic relationship with Grand Opera for like a lot of different reasons. And so uh it's it's like when i think about could opera go on without the met i think eh. <laughs> you know I, I think sure you know i i think i asked someone years ago like you know i don't wish the coc unwell or anything the canadian opera company but like if the canadian opera company were no longer it's not apparently it's not like their their government grant money would get redistributed it would just right like the the overseeing organization would just be like okay well this company just doesn't need that anymore because they're gone and so i'm just like i don't like the idea of these like large hubs disappearing because then it then it might signal something that's incorrect like that that no one wants this at all anymore you know if the met's closing why would anyone go see anything anywhere else well i'm kind of hoping and again this is just i keep saying this but i, I know from an outside point of view, this may just be sort of me being Mr. Visionary, Mr. Idea, like someone else will figure it out, which is not what I'm saying. But because I, I am in my own life taking active steps to to, to think about these things and, and to develop projects that address this. But I kind of think that the, the, the body of talent that we have is in the past few decades, since sort of Pavarotti stood on the stage in Trovatore to sing his aria and then walked off um in 1985 or whatever you know in the in the last like basically since you and i have been alive the body of skills that this group of people has amassed is incredible i mean if you think about barbara hannigan who i just wrote an article about for upper canada or you know any of these any of these people any any of us really any of our peers who who in a generation have transformed the art form from you know, the classic park and bark and like, no offense to like all these, you know, Joan Sutherland and all these amazing people who were like, you know, possibly the most amazing vocal artists of all time, because, because truly it's not that they didn't have to think about acting, but like truly they, they really could place the focus only on the singing. And I, and I don't know. And, and that's a niche whose, whose audience is, is shrinking for sure. Uh, but now that we have this huge body of artists with these amazing skills, I think that the possibilities for expansion, if we're liberated from some of the constricting associations that opera has, the possibilities are incredible. And and I just keep hearing myself saying this and thinking of all the people rolling their eyes, thinking, wow, like this guy really does live in, an, in a dreamscape and doesn't realize that when the Met closes, everyone is going to have to get jobs as temps. But uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of the way I'm approaching it in my brain right now, and maybe that's just because I'm well fed and and can take the dog out for walks twice a day. <laughs> well, I mean, 
because the other the other big question that needs to be addressed, and it's people are already starting to sort of, you know, pave the way themselves or sort of invent the new normal for this is basically is how artists get paid for for online content. Indeed. So, you know, like as an example, like Pocket Concerts, um, which is a Toronto based um, concert series that they basically come to you. They go to smaller spaces like um, your living room or like your office and they do these chamber music concerts and they're incredible musicians. Like it's really high quality stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they've pivoted very quickly to um, to virtual content and they're, you know, they're offering tickets. So they're doing sort of a closed link for viewing their their content and the link is good for 24 hours so like you don't have to make it right on time but you don't have forever to look at it and you pay for that link and the money goes to the artist and that kind of thing like in that case it's a small organization and so the money can go pretty directly from ticket buyer to artist um but in terms of any sort of the the concept of any larger organization doing this um, there's a question of how much a ticket is worth now. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know how much a ticket is worth now. Like, no, I, I don't either. I have no idea. Right. I mean, I, I don't, I think money's imaginary, but yes. <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, these things all have to be figured out. Cause like, as some people have already started to point out on social media, like it's, it's great for visibility, but this is the, this is the big artist conundrum that's just coming back in this really loud way, which is, you know, you really, you like me, you really like me, but will you pay for me? Yes. Kind of thing. And like, you know, and if the answer is no, we're not going to pay for you, then, then we're going to lose a lot of these artists, right? Like, oh yes, this is, this is something that truly Jenna, like I have, n- I have no idea. Like I, like I truly, I truly don't know what's, what's going to happen. I mean, what, what, do, what do you think? Well, I mean, my, it's already started you know, I've been emailing friends here and there just to check up on people. And, you know, I, I already know of a couple who are working in supermarkets and pursuing that other career path that they might have taken 10 years ago that right. they could potentially do. And, you know, in this, every, everyone's different, but like if you've got dependents or you've got uh, sometimes that, you know, we love, we love a good opera power couple, but like if both adults in the family are, are performing artists that's terrifying right yeah. now i guess what's striking me the most about all of this is that every more than most experiences i mean i've never i don't think anyone has ever ever anyone in living memory un- unless you lived through world war ii has ever experienced something where everyone in the world was talking about and dealing with the same thing at the same time like yeah i mean it's and i don't know even that it's possible that I, I don't know. I mean, World War Two, even World War Two had, you know, there were, there were pockets of the world that weren't that weren't affected by that in, in the same way. But of course, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, no. And the amount of information that we all have. Yes, exactly. It's I don't I don't think this is quite comparable yet to anything else. Um, yeah. But uh, but what's striking me about all that is that even though everyone is dealing with the same thing, different experiences are so individual because my experience is so individual and a lot of people are still working. A lot of people have extra time to work on things that they have never had time to do before because, you know, they, you know, went outside. And so I, I think that 
you know, people's love of music is going to and and people's belief that that something will return to normal after all this is over is going to continue the 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 act of learning about what they're doing. And if you're I don't know, I that this may sound like word salad, but I do believe that just in terms of people still wanting to be engaged with and interested in classical music that even if it's 18 months that that people will still be engaging in that way it, it just in terms of doing voice lessons and stuff like that i mean if it if it became you know god forbid you know a matter of five years or or whatever it's true that like people might stray away in that span of 18 months for financial reasons because they can't keep it up anymore and by might i say definitely will like that will happen but in terms of people losing interest in learning how to sing i don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon yeah aside from like all the music and all the the jobs and all that stuff like is there anything like really banal that you find yourself missing <sighs> to be to be honest i i'm like the poster child for like hashtag you know quarantine home and there i mean of course you know my one thing that that's really this isn't banal at all this is actually a really wonderful thing of our life but me and renee and our a couple couples a few gay couples that we're friends with have this like sort of tight-knit group of people who we we get together and often it well it started out being based on watching rupaul's drag race every every week but you know it's just becoming just hanging out and that's the thing that i've missed most of all just you know my, my life is pretty much the same but i always really looked forward to that and we tried doing zoom calls and it just wasn't the same and, it, and you end up feeling quite sad at the end of it and and we have done a couple of social distancing walks where we're out for the dog uh, for a walk with the dog and we're like you know staying far apart and, and sort of shouting to each other uh and we're, and we're finding ways to make it work but that that's the thing and that's not I, that's not banal in terms of like oh you know i i miss going to the coffee shop or whatever which i do but yeah, um yeah. but the thing that i truly miss is just is just that and and that's you know that's not really an answer to your question but no, it is an answer. I know. I I tried. Um, I have tried one of the social distancing walks with my son, but he's too young to understand social distancing. Right. He's two, so he's in in like the land of no, and so everything's oh, no. God. Oh. I'm like, like, dude, this is not the time to argue with me. <laughs> like, I just need you to back away from the strange person. Little petri and dish on legs. Just, I don't know. Yeah. And so, and then like, you know, okay, okay, let's go wash your hands. No, dude, you have no idea. Like, <laughs> Oh no. I have no idea. And that's beautiful. And like, I, I want him to like, not remember this at all. I want us to have to tell him about it and then he can be like, wow, or, or I don't care. Cause I'm 15, you know? So I ask all of my guests because it's the name of the podcast. Um, Isaiah Bell, is everything going to be okay? Yes. Really? Okay. To 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 qualify that, um, I don't know. You know, I've been doing a lot of meditation. Well, I, I've been for the last couple of years. I've been doing into this recently, and I mean, I will say that everything's not going to be okay in the sense of everything's going to go back to normal, and everything's you know, and we're, we're life is going to be okay, and everyone's going to live through this, and everyone's going to be happy and no one's going to be depressed and no one's going to have a nervous breakdown and all this stuff. But I think everything's going to be okay in terms of, you know, life and just like our spirits. I, I believe in my, in my core that, that 
that we always, you know, land on our feet, not in terms of necessarily our careers or, you know, our, our, always our mental health in terms of how that goes up and down, but in terms of, in terms of the, the big picture of, of us all continuing and us all, you know, continuing to tap back into the love and the sort of connectivity that makes us go as people. I think that that's always there, no matter the crisis. I, I truly, I truly do believe that. And, and, that also happens to be the only way that I can think about climate change is that, you know, it seems to me that in the world, there's always these two competing forces. And it's not good and evil so much as like selfishness and and sort of the open heartedness of connectivity and love. They're, they're always competing against each other, that contraction and that expansion. And I do think that the expansion always has a little bit of an upper hand and you know, everyone who brands himself as a realist, again, has probably already signed off from listening to me talk, so I don't even need to address them. But, but you know, there's people say, oh, well, you know, look at all the horrible things that are happening in the world more than ever. And of course, we're exposed more than ever because, you know, now we have the internet and we don't know, we didn't know maybe before about all the human rights atrocities and all these horrible things that are happening and, and the way that people are just systemically abusing and subjugating all living beings, you know. In, 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 in more and more insidious ways that are sort of autom automated and people are just being kept down. But, but I truly believe from an experiential viewpoint that even if you observe your own interior processes, there's all your selfishness and addictive behaviors and, and, you know, and, you know, moods and, and just like emotional dependency and all this terrible stuff that we all experience. And then there's also this like sort of ineffable thing that happens underneath all that, that sort of is, is more true than all that and, and sort of encompasses all that and allows all that to be there. That, that is why life can continue and is why we can grow and continue to like make art and love each other. And, and that's, that's just what I believe, but maybe, you know, that's just, I haven't fallen off my ladder and been paralyzed yet. Yet is the operative word. Well, she does get paralyzed, but at the end, she's still happy. This is Pollyanna, obviously, we're talking about. Or is it an apple tree that she falls out of? She falls out of something, but at the end, she's still happy. I actually forgot about that part of the story till right now. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's the real twist at the end, is that at the end, <laughs> I don't think at the end, that she's like, she's like, fuck it, I was wrong. Then <laughs> <laughs> look, even if this means that opera that opera is ending in the way we know it, which I don't believe that it is, but that's a, a different thing. I think that 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 the part of us that is fed by this art form will find a way to to continue feeding and being fed. I I, I believe that, and 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 we'll use our skills and we'll, and we'll use our our growth and and I don't know. We'll use our hearts to to make more art. I I, I think that's true. All right, I believe you officially. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>